Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the very important chapters in essay one of Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morals is chapter 13, where he's talking about birds of prey, Raubvogel, right? And little lambs, right? There's a very stark contrast here for the strong and the weak, the good in the original valuation and the bad in the uh, original valuation, or as we're going to see in the secondary or herd morality valuation, the transvaluation of values, the good and the evil. And Nietzsche's reflections here are really important because they don't just touch on something genealogical. He's also making some points about, you could call it the metaphysics of action and the will in general. So the metaphysics of the human person and he tells us that there's a sort of way of looking at things that he thinks is metaphysically mistaken. He calls it the common way. It's also the way of the person of Rizantamont. And we can tie it in with the, the little lambs and the birds of prey. Uh, the little lambs don't like the birds of prey because the birds of prey are mean to them and they do things that they don't like, like prey upon them, right? And he says that the lambs say that the birds of prey, and not only the birds of prey, but more generally, anybody else who acts that way. So even a little lamb, when a little lamb behaves that way, temporarily, if they have a little bit of power or something, they are evil. They are booze. They're bad in, in that sense. Bad in a different sense than the weak or common, you know, associated with schlecht that the birds of prey say about the, the weak. Being the opposite of that would then be good. So he says that the lambs dislike great birds of prey doesn't seem strange, right? And if the lambs say among themselves, these birds of prey are evil and whoever is least like a bird of prey, but rather it's opposite a lamb, would he not be good? Nietzsche says there's no reason to find fault with this institution of an ideal, except perhaps that the birds of prey might view it a little ironically and say, we don't dislike them at all, the good little lambs. We even love them. Nothing is more tasty than a tender lamb. So so the, the birds of prey can still rise above it. But part of the metaphysics of the human person that's being rolled out and deployed is giving the little lambs a cultural advantage. And the key assumption here is that everybody is fundamentally free to be either of these. And because of that, Nietzsche uses this term in a verbal sense, but here in, in Kaufman's translation, it's that the birds of prey are accountable for being birds of prey. He says, make the bird of prey accountable. Zu rechnen, right? Rechnen is this term that has to do with reckoning, is a kind of a cognate with it. And we, we think about the value of things. Zu rechnen here has the sense of making these birds of prey who aren't accountable, that's why they act the way that they are, making them accountable by attributing to them a kind of freedom, a capacity to choose otherwise than they do. Nietzsche thinks that this is fundamentally mistaken. And here's his explanation for it. So he says, to demand of strength that it should not express itself, externalize itself as strength, 
that it should not be a desire to overcome, a desire to throw down, a desire to become master, a thirst for enemies and resistances and triumphs is just as absurd as to demand of weakness that it should express itself as strength. So notice the different things that he's talking about. Strength or force, and he uses both of these terms, expresses itself as what it is. So strength involves a desire to overcome, a desire to master, to place oneself above others and to control. And then he says, a thirst for what? Enemies, resistances, and triumphs. So a thirst for opposition, right? Needing enemies to be there so that you can then clash with them. That's how you externalize strength. That's how you express it. And so strength, that's part of what's inherent to it. He says, a quantum of force is equivalent to a quantum, a number, right? A, a certain amount of drive, will, effect. More, it's nothing other than precisely this very driving, willing, effecting, and only owing to the seduction of language and the fundamental errors of reason that are petrified in it, which conceives and misconceives all effects as conditioned by something that causes effects, can it appear otherwise? So there's the reality of things, and then there's the error or delusion that is caused by language and a certain way of reasoning about it that we're habitually falling into. So according to Nietzsche, there is no being behind the doing, right? He goes on and he says, there is no substratum. There is nothing like underlying things. There is no being, no sein behind doing, effecting, making real, wirken, right? Becoming, werden. The doer is merely a fiction added to the deed. The deed is everything. Now, you know, maybe we're going a little bit too far with this because we can say, does that mean there aren't any stable human beings? Nietzsche is not asserting that, but he is saying that this notion of there being like this neutral free will that gets to decide and then either goes for the good, being nice to people, goes for the bad, being mean to people, acting like the weak, acting like the strong. He says that is not, that's not real. Certainly not in the, the strong and not in the weak either. Maybe it is in some weird amalgam that we'll, we'll talk about later on down the line. So this is his position, right? He says, uh, scientists do better when they say force moves, force causes and the like. It's all its coolness, its freedom from emotion, notwithstanding our entire science still lies under the misleading influence of language. And, you know, we, we fall into these mistakes of looking for the conscient thing in itself or the atom or stuff like that, or the radically free will. Nietzsche is not saying, by the way, that we don't have a will. Will is absolutely central to his understanding of the human person and metaphysics and, you know, what's going on with morality. It's just not the will that the way that people portray it to be is, right? That's a, a mistake, according to him. He talks about a doubling of the doing. So what is the mistaken point of view? He tells us, owing to the seduction of language and the fundamental errors of reason, which conceives and misconceives all effects as conditioned by something that causes effects by a subject, right? The subject in this case would be me, the acting person who can be a bird of prey or a nice little lamb. And he goes on and he says, as the popular mind separates the lightning from its flash and takes the latter, the flash, for an action, for the operation of a subject called lightning, so popular morality also separates strength 
from the expression of strength. It says, well, you, you could just keep the strength inside, bottle it up, don't express it in such a way as to be, you know, a bird of prey, a mean person, a forceful person, a strong person. He says, as if there were a neutral substratum behind the strong man, which was free to express strength or not to do so. So what, what is Nietzsche actually saying here? He's saying the strong person inevitably is going to show themselves as strong by behaving that way, by clashing, by dominating, by desiring all of those sorts of things. They are full of energy. And how do you know that? Because that energy is going to flow out. It's not like a reservoir where it can just stay inside and do nothing, right? And so he goes on and he says that the, the people who are filled with resentment, right, they exploit this this belief that the strong person is free to be weak and the bird of prey to be a lamb. This is what makes them accountable to, to them. And so he goes on, he says, when the oppressed downtread and outraged exhort one another, they say, let us be different from the evil, namely good. He is good who does not outrage, who harms nobody, who does not attack, who does not requite, who leaves revenge to God. He goes on and on and on, right? He says, what this really amounts to is saying, we weak ones are after all weak. It would be good if we did nothing for which we are not strong enough. But what they do instead is they say that there is in all of us the same basic capacity he says, it dresses itself up in the ostentatious garb of the virtue of quiet, calm resignation, just as if the weakness of the weak, that is to say their essence, what it is that they are, how, how do they show themselves as weak? They don't show strength. They don't externalize it. They give in. They are the material that is worked upon, you could say. He says, their essence, their effects, their reality, as if this were a voluntary achievement, as if they chose to do this. He goes on, willed, chosen, a deed, a meritorious act. This sort of person needs to believe in a neutral, independent subject who then is good by not choosing to behave in a bad way. So the use of this neutral subject is a way of, you could say, corralling culturally the strong, using a, a sort of metaphysics. You say the strong could behave like the weak and be good instead of evil. They choose not to. They choose to give in to their base desires for domination and conflict and being a mean person and all that. That's why they're evil. That's why they're terrible in that way. They could have chosen otherwise. And the weak, for their part, are strong in that they choose not to behave like the strong, even though they, they really, in their heart of hearts, according to Nietzsche, they don't have that. That's not a possibility for them. That's why they're weak, right? So what we have here is some very interesting reflections on strength and weakness and how they display themselves and whether there is any underlying being. And the being in this case would be the, the will understood as the radically free will that chooses either good or evil, but isn't, you know, by itself driven to one of these expressions or the other. And Nietzsche thinks that that is a, not just a mistaken conception of human nature, but it's one that serves ideological needs on the part of the weak to try to get over on the strong through the, this dynamic of resentment. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.